This is your first Sunday here. You haven't been with us for a while. We've been going through uh, this series that Pastor Ben started a while back called Through the Crowd. And uh, it's really an amazing, amazing series. And the whole point of it is uh, we're going through the stories uh, of Jesus. Jesus, we believe, the Bible teaches us that he was the perfect son of God walking in human flesh on the earth. And when, I'm going to just tell you, if you're the son of God and you're walking around the earth, you're going to attract a crowd. And so everywhere Jesus went, it says there was crowds that were following him. But the, the awesome idea behind this sermon, uh, sorry, this series is that Jesus would uh, be in the middle of a crowd, but he had this amazing power to see through the crowd, to see an individual, to change their lives, to do some healing miracle, to, to give some amazing uh, word that would heal them in their spirit, heal them in their soul, heal them emotionally, heal them physically, whatever it was. Jesus had this amazing power to have an interaction with one person in the middle of a crowd. And it was an amazing thing. So our theme uh, verse for this series is Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And it says that when he, Jesus, saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. Everybody say compassion. That's who our God is. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So today, if you haven't been counting, is week seven of our Through the Crowd series. And today what I want to talk about, the story I want to talk about, is a story again from that time when Jesus was here on earth. But I believe that the story we're going to talk about today shows us who Jesus is. It shows us what his purpose is and what that means for all of us. Turn to somebody next and say, you ready? Now look back at him and say, oh yeah. All right, so let's dive right into it. The story we're going to look at today is the story of Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter. And if you're an English teacher in here, can you tell, does it, is there supposed to be an S after this apostrophe? No, okay. If you say yes, throw your hand up. If you say no, throw your hand up. Oh, I have no idea. That's what I'm asking. It's bothered me my whole life. Like James or anyways, that's not what the point of what we're talking about today. I'm really distracted. Let's get back to Jairus's daughter. Mark chapter five, verses 21 through 24. And this actually is a miracle that's recorded in three of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story happening. And uh, the reason we're looking at Mark today is because it's got some, uh, it, to me, Mark has, uh, more of the just really, really important details that he packs in there. So we're going to look at that today. And it says this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Again, that crowd gathering around him. And it says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. You ever just collapse before? You're going through some situation and, and it's just overwhelming you to the point where you just, you can't even stand anymore. It says when he saw Jesus, the situation he was going through and the fact that Jesus was here, he fell at his feet. It says he pleaded earnestly with him. He was begging him. He says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now you see why he collapsed. You see, you see why he collapsed. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed, and they pressed around him. So we're going to jump ahead a few verses here, because what happens here is, again, we saw Jesus goes with Jairus. His heart goes out to him, and he's going to do something for him. He's going to do what he can. He's following Jairus. He's going with him, going to Jairus' house. But on the way to Jairus' house is uh, what happens is the story that maybe you've heard of before of the woman 
who has had the issue of bleeding for years and years and has gone to doctors and no one can stop it. And she says, in faith, if I just touch the edge of Jesus' cloak, I know that I'm going to be healed. And what happens is, is that as Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house, his little daughter is dying. He's desperate. He's collapsed at his feet. While he's on the way, this, this, this great emergency in the life of Jairus, I'm, I'm sure that nothing more serious has ever happened in his life. And Jesus said he's going to come. And so they're on the way to Jairus' house. And all of a sudden, some woman reaches out, touches Jesus. And in that instant, the Bible says that she's healed. And Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, but because this woman reaches out and, he, and he, she's healed, he says he feels power go out from him and he, he stops on his way to Jairus' house. He stops and he looks around and he says, who touched me? I felt power go out from me. And while he, Jairus is in the middle of this grave emergency, Jesus stops how many of y'all, if your little daughter was on the edge of death, how many of y'all would get a little upset if the ambulance stopped on the way to your house? And that's exactly what's happened, is that Jesus is stopping. Yes, it's an, it's an amazing miracle for this woman who's had this issue, but if you're Jairus, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, she's healed, let's go. She's healed, let's go. And instead, Jesus sits there and he has a moment with this woman and he begins to speak to her and tell her how her faith has healed her and all this. And then we're going to pick up in verse 35. Jairus is sitting there and he's been like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother? And I'm sure if he collapsed the first time he went to Jesus, I'm sure he collapsed again. Overhearing what they said, though, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Let's keep on going on. And Jesus, at this point, didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. The huge crowd is following around him, wondering what he's going to do. But at this point, he says, no, no, no. This is the moment for Jairus. It says that he only leaves those three disciples to come with him, and then also Jairus and his wife. And they came to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And the reason for that is thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago when this happened, the people that lived on the earth at that time were so much more accustomed with death than you and I are. No one in those days died in a nice, clean, sterile hospital. Everyone 2,000 years ago either died in the home or, again, you were surrounded by people. You were surrounded by death all the time. The average life expectancy was, you know, in the 30s or 40s. Like, it was, you were surrounded by death all the time. If you, if you wanted chicken that night, you had to kill the chicken. If you wanted beef that night, you had to kill the beef. You, uh, the cow, whatever, you know, the beef machine. You had to kill it, whatever. But they were so accustomed with death that when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, no, 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 she's not dead. They laugh at him. Why is that important? Because they all knew that she was dead. Jesus wasn't just saying, oh, you, you, you misprescribed what her condition is. 
He's not saying that. He's, he's speaking a little bit more to his power and to the condition of the world. It says they laughed at him. And then it says he puts all the laughers and the scoffers out as well. And so it's only the child's father and mother. It's only Jairus, his wife, and the three disciples who are with him. And they went in where the child was. I love this. He took her by the hand. Jairus said, put your hands on her. But Jesus didn't just put his hands on her. He took her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up. Yeah, that's right. Put your hands together for Jesus. That's a miracle. It's amazing. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. I think that's a little bit of an understatement. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank God for miracles. Thank God for stories like this. Thank God that the dead can be raised, that the sick can be healed. Thank God for miracles. And what I want to do today, as we're looking at this story of Jairus' daughter, as we're looking at week seven of Through the Crowd, is I want to take a look at this miracle because I believe wrapped up in this one story, Wrapped up in this one miracle, it's a little bit more than just this one story. It's a little bit more than just this one miracle. Like I said, I believe this story, this miracle shows us who Jesus is, what he is here for, what his purpose is, and what that means for all of us. I believe that this one miracle, this one miracle points us to two even greater miracles, okay? And so what I want to do is first, let's look at this first miracle a little bit closer, okay? Let's look at the miracle of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. Let's look at a few more of these details so we can get maybe a, a clearer picture of what exactly happened before we dive into the rest of it, go a little bit deeper. Let's look at this first miracle, and that is the miracle for Jairus. Say, the miracle for Jairus. Now, the obvious beauty of this story, the thing that resonates with every single one of us, is the healing of this little girl. She was dead, and now she's alive. This was Jairus' daughter. Luke actually says that this was his only daughter. This was, it was such a loss for Jairus. An amazing loss. And yet, she was given back to him. It, I would just take one second right now, everybody in the room, everybody watching online, and think back to a time where you've lost somebody that you loved. Think back to the emotions that you felt. Think back to maybe even the moment that you collapsed, just like Jairus collapsed. Think of that, that, that deep desperation and that deep longing that every single one of us has felt from the beginning of creation. Till the end of time, every single human being has gone through this deep, intense longing in your soul when you've lost somebody to see their eyelids raise again. To see them come back. To see that the chest begin to rise and breathe again when the doctors tell you that it's never going to happen again. We all have felt that intense, deep longing that's really, truly at the base of of the human soul. It's there. It's deeper, I think, than almost any other longing that you could feel. Especially in that moment, if you think back to that time. But the truth is, if you're like me, you've had to come to grips, maybe, with the fact that that's not the way the world works. 
You, you long to see their smile again. You long to see them walk up to you and give you a hug again. You long to see them maybe sing that song they always used to sing. You long for them to tell that joke they always used to tell. But you have to come to grips with the fact that on this earth, in this world, that's not the way things go. But when Jesus walks in the room, but when Jesus walks in the room, the impossible becomes possible. The impossible becomes possible. When Jesus raised this little girl from the dead, it showed us the amazing power of God. But I'm going to tell you something. More than just the amazing power of God, it shows us the amazing character of God. Like I said, it shows us who He is. It shows His power and His character. His perfect power and His perfect character. Because I don't know if you know this, but if somebody has perfect character, but they have no power, they may be you know, a nice person, they may be somebody that you know, maybe you can learn from and look at as an example, but they can't really affect the world around them. But if you look at somebody who's got perfect power and no character, you need to watch out because they're dangerous. But in Jesus, we see the ultimate power. What about somebody who has power over death itself? What about somebody who has power over the entire universe. They can say one word and a little dead girl can rise up again. What about somebody who has that kind of power? What kind of character does he have? If we look at the story, two little details that were in the story I want to look at to just show us the amazing character of who Jesus was. And the first one was where he said the words to that little girl, Talitha Kum. Talitha Kum. Anybody in here an uh, expert in Aramaic? I'm not either. And so I've always read this story and just, I always assumed that it meant exactly what the English translators have said, which, and again, I think a lot of times if we're reading the Bible, if we're honest, we have a tendency to kind of over um, formalize it a little bit, right? So it says that Jesus took the little girl by the hand and said, Talitha kum. And in English, it means little girl, I say to you, get up. And again, we kind of over formalize a little bit. And Jesus said, Little girl, I say to you, rise up. You know, they always have an English accent, okay? I don't know why. But Talitha actually was an Aramaic word that came from the word Tala, which means lamb. And that's just so beautiful to me. A lot of, I, when I was reading about this and learning about it, a lot of biblical scholars believe that Jesus wasn't just saying, Little girl, I say to you, rise up. But he was using a colloquial phrase, a phrase that everybody around would use that meant, little lamb, it's time for you to get up. When you go to your, your little daughter in, in the morning and she's been sleeping, you go to your little son and they've been sleeping and they're so sweet and the drool's hanging out of their mouth, you know, and you just gently put your hand on them, you say, sweetheart, it's time to wake up. Scholars say that that's what Jesus was doing. She was dead. She had crossed over, passed through the veil that no one else can come back from. That we all have to come to grips with the fact that that's not the way the world works. She's passed the veil where no one can go. And Jesus comes up to her and his great power and his great character, this impossible, impassable 
journey that she has to make from death to life to Jesus is the same as saying, little lamb, it's time to get up. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's amazing. If you're filling in your notes this morning, that's the, for Jesus, the, the, the equivalent of raising someone from the dead is wake up, sweetheart. That's amazing that that's his power. And also that's his gentleness. That's his tenderness. You know, I'm sure that maybe Jairus had told his little daughter before that same thing, you know, Talitha Kum, little, little lamb, it's time to get up. And here's Jesus saying, no, no, no. She's my little lamb. And it's time for her to get up. So that's the first thing. The second detail I love about this story is that it says he took her by the hand. He took her by the hand. That's not what Jairus asked for. He's going above and beyond here. Not just, again, the formal, I'm putting my hands upon you, you shall rise. No, he takes her by the hand. He takes her by the hand. And again, let's think back to a time when, when you were young. When you were a kid and the world was huge and scary, maybe you were uh, in the dark somewhere and it was late at night. And what, what did you do to feel secure? You took your mom or your dad or your some trusted adult by the hand. And here is Jairus' daughter in the deepest darkness. The deepest darkness possible. She has crossed over into death. And here's Jesus taking her by the hand. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever been to Disney World before. Disney World is like the happiest place on earth unless you lose your kid in Disney World. Has anybody ever done that before? So our, our, our oldest uh, son, Rylan, this is uh, late at night, one night when we went to Disney World. And you all know at the very end of the day at Disney World, if you've never been, everybody's trying to get to the exit. So all the walkways get super crowded and you're just like sardines trying to walk. And there's so many people. It's dark and late at night. And one night we're walking. It's the end. We're trying to get to the exit. And we look around and we cannot find Rylan. Time to freak out, right? Just... And so we're looking, we're so scared. We're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I stay the very last place that we were. And my wife takes uh, Nayemi, our little girl, and she's like two, three years old. And they're going to go look for Ryland. And she's like two or three. And all of a sudden she says to Jennifer, she's like, there's Ryland. Just like, she said she was really chill about it. She said, there's Ryland. <laughs> and he was at a store with some of the Disney employees and we found him and all that and everything, all our deepest fears, you know, were put to rest. He's here. He's back again. We're so happy. But how many of y'all know the whole rest of that night, Rylan's hand was glued to me or Jennifer's hand, right? He wasn't letting go. He had been, he had been that, that separation. He had experienced it. And look, his hand was glued to mine. His hand was glued to Jennifer's because that hand it's that security that you feel. It's that knowing that someone's taking care of you in Jesus. The power, the greatest power in the entire universe. Who can speak and the blind can see. Who can speak and the dead are raised. The gentleness and the tenderness of this great power. And he takes this little girl by the hand in the deepest darkness of death. And says, little lamb, it's time to wake up. Man. What perfect power. What perfect character. Who he is. What perfect gentleness and tenderness. How absolutely amazing. But like I said, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from 
the dead. It wasn't just this one miracle for Jairus. I believe that this one miracle pointed us to an even greater miracle. And that's the miracle of create the miracle for creation. Turn to somebody next and say the miracle for creation. Because the raising of this little girl, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just some miracle for this first century Israel village. It wasn't just for this one time, this one thing to happen, that everybody else would be wowed and awed and all that, but it really truly points to the miracle for creation, an even greater miracle, a huge, amazing miracle. Because, like I said, this is a super sweet story. It's so tender and sweet and all that that Jesus did. But what does that have to do with creation? What does that have to do with, with, with how in the world could that be tied together with creation? Because if you've ever lost somebody, if you've ever felt that feeling of loss, if you've ever felt that deep longing to be reunited with them, especially with the death of this little 12-year-old girl, To me, there's so many signposts, but something like this, the premature death of this beautiful, pure little girl, it's a signpost that things in this world are not the way that they should be. Do you all believe that? If you've ever felt that deep sense of longing in your heart, that deep sense to be reunited, that that deep feeling, that deep longing, you say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, This isn't the way that it should be. And the Bible comes right alongside you and says, you're exactly right. This world isn't the way that it should be. When Jesus, the God who created the entire universe, was walking around in human flesh, and Jairus came up, and they said, she's dead. He was God. He could have said, you know what? Yeah, okay, she's dead. I created the world. Deal with it. But that's not what God did. That's not what he did. When she was dead, the character of who Jesus is and what he's here for, it shows us that when he went to that that little girl's deathbed and he sat there and took her by the hand and said, little lamb, it's time to wake up. And she crossed over from death to life. What Jesus was showing us is he's showing us what he came to earth for. He came to earth to say, you know what? This isn't right. You know what? This isn't the way that it should be. You know what? This world is fallen. This world isn't the way that I created it to be. And so if you guys remember my father-in-law, when he used to be preaching up every, here every uh, Sunday, he used to tell this joke that I absolutely loved, and so I'm stealing it this morning. He said, you know what happens when you play a country music record backwards? You get your wife back, your dog back, your trailer back, your job back, Right? Because that's just the way the country music goes, or at least maybe the way that it used to go, right? You lose your wife, you lose your job, you lose your trailer, you lose your dog, you lose everything. You play it backwards. If only there was a way you could play those country music records backwards. But what Jesus is showing us by raising this little girl from the dead is he's showing us This is what I came here for, to put things back right the way that they should be. Do y'all believe that? You see, the healing miracles of Jesus, and we've gone through a few of them so far, the healing miracles of Jesus don't suspend the laws of nature. They restore the laws of nature. 
See, when God created the universe, when he created it, at the very end, after the sixth day, he said, he looked at it and he said it was very good because there was no death. There was no disease. There was no decay. He created a perfect world. And it's because sin entered into the world that the curse of sin came in. Because sin, while maybe you've been told that it's breaking a rule, which it is. While you've been told that it's misbehaving, which yes it is. But the root of sin, of what it is when you break it down, is making a willful choice to separate yourself from the will of God, to separate yourself from God himself. And so when sin entered into the world... All of creation, it says, was ripped away from what the will of God was in the beginning. That there would be a perfect universe with no death, no disease, and no decay. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation, all of creation is wallowing in that death, disease, and decay. And it's waiting, just like Jairus' daughter was waiting on the deathbed. Romans 8, it says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Talking about the very end of time. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. By all of us humans who are sinful, by the devil coming in to tempt us and bring us into sin. That the creation itself, it's longing for this. All the universe, every particle of every atom is longing to be liberated from its bondage to decay and death and disease and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That is what Jesus was showing us when he brought that little girl back from the dead. It says that we all know that creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's waiting. And what is it waiting for? For everything to be put back right. And the Bible tells us at the very end, Revelation 21, one of the very last things that is in the Bible. It says that John saw a new heaven and a new earth. That heaven was created, uh, sorry, uh, heaven and earth had become one. There's a new heaven and a new earth. He had restored creation to the way it was supposed to be. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, it says, I heard it's past tense, but he's talking about a vision of the future. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people. He's living with us and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. See, sin is separation. But when he restores us, he's back with us. And it says what? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for what? The old order of things has passed away. The record of creation that's been going and going and going since the fall, since sin entered into the world that all of us have had to come to grips with. Whenever you've lost someone and you've just, you've been longing, maybe you collapsed like Jairus and you've been longing for them to come back. You've been longing for them to, to, to see them once again. You, you, maybe you've been dealing with some sickness and you've just been longing for it to go away. It says that one day, one day, one day, Jesus will play that record backwards and he'll restore everything back to the way that it should be. Are you ready for that day? Are you excited about that day? I love that because when Jesus got to the deathbed of this little girl and he took her by the hand and he raised her up the same way you and I would raise up one of our kids who was sleeping, he raised her from the dead. What he was showing us is that when we see injustice, when we see something that's wrong, when we see the disease and the decay and we see the death that's around every corner while we're on this earth right now, 
It's painful. Maybe it will make you groan, an audible groan. Just, oh, this is not the way that it should be. What Jesus is showing us is that God is right there alongside with us saying, you're exactly right. This isn't the way that it should be. But just wait, because one day, one day, as excited as Jairus was when his little daughter raised up, one day, one day, everything will be put back right. And I love that. I love that. Because when we look at Jesus, the Son of God, walking on the earth in human flesh, showing us who he is, showing us what he's here for, he's restoring creation to the way it should be, that where there is death, he brings life. Where there is sickness, he brings healing. But ultimately, in the last miracle that I want to talk about, is that where there is sin, where there is rebellion, where we have separated ourselves from God, he brings forgiveness and healing, not just of, a, of her earthly body, but the healing of your eternal soul. So it's the miracle for Jesus, the miracle for creation, okay? Sorry, the miracle for Jairus that happened 2,000 years ago. The miracle for creation that the Bible tells us is going to happen someday, at some point. And here we, we are, you and me, smack dab in the middle. What does that mean for you and for me? What does that mean for us, the miracle for us? And the last clue, I think, in the story of Jairus, of what does that have to do with us? Okay, we get that he brought her up from the dead, okay? We get that he's going to restore creation one day, whether that's tomorrow, whether that's a thousand years from now, we don't know when that's going to be. But here we are smack dab in the middle. What does the, the raising up of Jairus' daughter 2,000 years ago and the restoration of creation in the future, what does that mean for me right now? If we look at the very last verse of the story that we look, we're just reading, it gives us a little bit of a clue. Did y'all notice that very last verse? It, whenever I've read through this story before, it always just, it was like a snag in my brain. I'm like, what is wrong? Why would he do that? Did you notice he said, after he brought this little girl back from the dead, he made the worst PR decision ever. And he said, don't tell anybody about it. I mean, if I was the disciples, I'd be like, you need to tell someone, Jesus. She was dead and now she's alive. Legitimately, I studied public relations at LSU. That would, when you do something good as a company, you tell everyone, okay? If you ever scroll through Twitter and you're like, oh, Coca-Cola's building a factory in Africa and, you know, giving thousands of people clean water. That's great. Coke wants to tell everybody, you know, that's what they want to do. But Jesus tells them to keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody about it. Why in the world would Jesus tell them to keep quiet about it? They're, this was probably the, the greatest joy that Jairus had ever experienced in his entire life. This was the, the answer to his prayers that so many of us have prayed throughout all time. That's, that our sick one would be healed, that a dead one would be brought back to life. We've all prayed it so many times. And for Jairus, the prayer was answered. And Jesus says, shh, 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 shh. No, 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 no. Just keep it between us, okay? This will be our little secret. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Because the physical raising of the dead the physical healing of the blind eyes, the physical raising of the lame to walk again, but that physical raising from the dead 
pales in comparison to the miracle that Jesus wants to do in your eternal soul. I hate to, to introduce us to this miracle and then have a wah-wah moment here at the end of minimizing it, but the fact is, is that the healing of this little girl, of raising her from the dead, it was a temporary miracle. Because again, I, I hate to wah-wah at the end of the message, but after he raised her from the dead, I'm sure she lived a good life, but then she died again. I don't see Twitter at Jairus's daughter tweeting these days. They're like, hey, I'm still kicking. She died again because that miracle was temporary. The healing of the blind eyes that Jesus did, eventually the, they died and their eyes were closed again. Eventually, she, Jairus' daughter died again. But the reason he told them to keep quiet about it was because that's a temporary miracle. The eternal miracle that he would do, not just for Jairus' daughter, but for every soul who's ever walked the face of the earth would be the most public thing that Jesus ever did in his life. That he couldn't keep quiet and he knew no one would keep quiet about it. Historians throughout all time, if you ask any historian worth their salt, even the ones who don't believe that Jesus was God, they all agree on one fact. That there was a man named Jesus who lived in the first century Israel and he was crucified on the cross by the Romans. It's the most public thing that Jesus ever did in his entire life was die. The thing that he told no one to keep quiet about. In fact, when he died on the cross and he was raised again in three days, when he had triumphed over sin, death, hell, and the grave, what did he tell the disciples? Did he tell them, shh, shh, don't tell anybody that I'm back. He said, go. Tell the world the good news of what's happened. Tell the world what's happened. Because when Jesus died on the cross his blood was spilled what happened what happened why did Jesus die on the cross how in the world is that a miracle because when he died on the cross his blood being spilled for you and for me the Bible tells us that a great transfer happened that you and I had sinned and we had separated ourselves from God that we had chosen willfully to be separated from God but Jesus shows us on the cross that God willfully chose to die in your and my place. That death is the consequence of sin in the world. And the consequence of sin in your life is death for you and for me. But Jesus chose on the cross to accept the consequence that you and I deserve. And when his blood was spilled out, the greatest miracle that could ever happen, happened. That, yes. The forgiveness of my sin, the forgiveness of your sin, the crossing over from the death of our soul to life. Paul explains it really well in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. Now we all agree that Jairus' daughter was dead or Maybe somebody who's passed on in your life, your loved one, you know that they're dead. But when you read this, you're like, okay, I wasn't dead. But the Bible is saying you were, you were deader in your sins than Jairus' daughter was. That was a physical, temporary death that Jesus in a minute could, boom, just say it. 
with the words Talitha Kum, he was able to rise her up from the dead. But I'm going to tell you what, the death of your and my soul took so much more than just words. It took the blood of the son of the living God so that we could be forgiven and brought back to life. And the amazing miracle that he did for Jairus' daughter, raising her up from the dead, the Bible says that he did the eternal miracle of rising our souls from the dead. Go to the next verse. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. The way you used to live, when you follow the sins of the world, it's not just misbehaving. It's not just missing the mark. That's what sin means. But it means that when you sin, when you miss the mark, you're separating yourself from the eternal love, the eternal joy, the eternal life that God offers us, that he had at the beginning of creation. Go to the next verse. It says that all of us lived among those and we gratified our cravings. We followed its desires. We followed the the thoughts, the rest of the world. And it says because of our sin, we were deserving of wrath. And that means that the nails that Jesus took on the cross, the most public thing he ever did, the nails he took on the cross in his hands, the beating that he took before, where it says that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. He was so disfigured and so beaten. The most public thing that he ever did was to take the place that you and I deserve so that we could cross over from death to life because of his great love for us. Not just taking us by the hand, but offering his hands on the cross to be crucified. His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Do you believe he's rich in mercy today? He made us say this word alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by his great grace that you've been saved. Do you see how he took that little girl's hand on her deathbed and he said, little lamb, it's time to get up. Because of the cross, he says the same thing to every soul on the planet, to your soul, to my soul. If you're listening in this morning, you're in here this morning, maybe you feel that you're far from God. You know that your sin has separated you so far from God and you need him to come in and do that restoration. There's the miracle he did for Jairus 2,000 years ago. There's the miracle he did for creation. But the miracle for us right now is that forgiveness. That forgiveness gives us what the Bible calls a, a down payment of heaven. That right now we could begin to experience that eternal life that he's going to do one day. We can experience the restoration, the redemption, the fact that the curse of sin can be broken over your life. If only you would accept what he's already done on the cross for you and for me. You see how he took that little girl's hand and he said, little lamb, it's time to wake up. But he's doing the exact same thing for you and for me today. He's saying, you, you're his son. You're his daughter. I'm his son. And he's saying to all of us, little one, it's it's time to get up. Don't you see you, you weren't made for this life of sin that keeps dragging you down? Don't you see that you weren't made for this life of sin that's introducing death and decay over and over and over again? Don't you see that it's just causing you, it's, it's, it's causing your soul, your spirit to go further and deeper, deeper into your deathbed. But he's saying, don't you see that you weren't made for this? It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. And the only way that we can get up is by reaching up, taking his hand accepting what he's done already on the cross.
wherever you're at this morning, I just ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes. The truth is, is that what God desires for every one of us is that we would begin to experience the joys of eternal life right now. That you wouldn't be a slave to sin anymore. That you wouldn't be subject to the curse of sin and all the consequences that come with it anymore. And the way we do it is by simply reaching out to Him. The Bible says it's repenting, it's turning from our sins, but it's admitting that we're a sinner in the first place. Every person in church, we're not perfect. We've just come to that conclusion at some point of, yes, I'm a sinner. In fact, we've come to the exact opposite conclusion, that we're not perfect and that we need His forgiveness. We've seen what sin does in our life and we say we're done with it. We accept what you've done on the cross, Jesus. We accept your forgiveness. We accept that new life. We believe you died on the cross and that you did the greatest miracle on the cross. We believe that you died and you rose again and so that we can have new life right now. And if you, if you want to do that, if you want to reach out to his hand that's reaching out to you saying it's time to get up, if you want to wake up today, his hand is there. And I would just ask that you pray this little prayer with us today and by reaching out in this prayer, it's not the words that save you, but it's your heart reaching out to his hand this morning. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe that he died and rose again, it says that you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will cross over from death to life this morning. If that's you and you want that this morning, wherever you're at, nobody's looking around. I just ask that right now you'd raise your hand so I can see you so that we can pray with you this morning. Amen, amen, I see those hands. If you're joining in online with us this morning, you can also click the button there that says that you're raising your hand so we can know and we can pray with you. Amen. Church family, I just ask everybody in the room this morning, let's pray this prayer out loud and help the ones who've raised their hands this morning. Everybody repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, reaching out to you this morning. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I know that I'm a sinner and I've made mistakes. But I thank you for paying my penalty. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again. I accept your forgiveness and I accept your new life. And I commit my life to you. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together for those who prayed that prayer this morning.